You remain standing and turn to Hebrews chapter 5. In Hebrews chapter 5, 11 through 6, 3. You have the Pew Bibles, that is on page 1003. Please pay attention to the reading of God's holy word. About this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Why are we here this morning? And I don't mean in a existential, like, why do we exist kind of way? Why did you come this morning? Why did you get up out of bed and go out into the cold, bundle up and make your way to church when you could have stayed in bed, you could have done a whole bunch of other things? Maybe you're here because your parents dragged you here, or at least that's how it feels. Maybe you feel like your spouse dragged you here. Maybe you're here because this is just what you do, right? It's tradition. Go to church on Sundays. Maybe you had a hard week and you're like, oh, I got to make things right. So I I better get my backside in that pew, right? Well, there are a whole bunch of reasons that we could list. And a lot of those reasons I listed feel more like have to's, right? Instead of get to's. But we get to come. And ultimately, we come for God, right? We don't come for ourselves. We come to worship God. We come to give him the praise and the glory that he is due. We come to to submit our lives to him. We always have to keep that in mind. But I think it's okay to also ask some of the personal why questions. Why do we come? And we're talking here about motivation, right? We come to know God. We come to know him more. We come to hear from his word. There's this vertical element as we come to worship. And we come to fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ, right? Now, that can't be the only reason we come. This isn't just a social club, right? There's, if you want a social club, there's much probably more fancy and fun social clubs out there. But we do come to gather together, right? To fellowship on that horizontal level with one another. And I think, All of those things are about growth, right? We come to grow. We come to be changed. We're not just here for no reason, right? If you don't have a desire to grow and to be sanctified and to be more like Christ, then kind of like, well, what are you doing, right? 
So we, we need to have that desire to grow. And Hebrews is a great book about growth. As we've mentioned several times, there is this kind of back and forth in Hebrews between instruction, right? Who is Jesus? What has he done for us? We need to know certain things with our heads. And then exhortation, being told what we ought to do in light of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. So there's this element of belief and, and action, doing something. Those are heart-related issues. And these exhortations, we can also call them warnings. And much ink has been spilled over the significance of these warning passages in Hebrews. And we are getting now into the central one, and this is probably the most controversial one. Primarily, we're going to see it next week in chapter 6, verses 4 through 8. But really, chapter 5, 11 through 6, 12, this entire section here, if you have the ESV, the heading of this section is warning against apostasy. And there are, throughout Hebrews, probably about five or six warning passages. Some people have more than that, depending on how you break it down. But most commentators agree that there are about five or six warning passages. Um, been reading a very interesting book. I started it last week. It's one of the, in that four views series. So if you've ever, you know, four views on baptism, four views on church government type of thing. Uh, it's four views on the warning passages in Hebrews. So four professors from the same seminary uh, wrote this book. And two of them are from a more reformed perspective, two from a more Arminian perspective. So getting, and we'll be talking about this some more next week, but getting into this um, idea of like, is it possible to lose your salvation? But this is really, this warning passage and the way they structure the book, they, they have it in this chiastic structure, a chiasm. We've talked about this a few times. It's like A, B, C, B, A, right? So uh, the first warning and the last warning are the A's. And those ones are uh, emphasizing hearing and listening and believing, believing what we hear. So, so that's the, the first warning in Hebrews and the last warning in Hebrews. Then the Second warning and the fourth warning are, those would be the B's, those are to trust and obey. And then this one is the C. This is the middle one that it all kind of hinges on. And this, the warning here uh, against falling away and the kind of the, what we're told to do is to be lifelong learners. So being lifelong learners is really kind of the emphasis of the middle of Hebrews here in this middle warning passage. And no matter where we are at in our Christian life, if you're a brand new Christian or if you've been a Christian for 60 years, this, what we're talking about here, being lifelong learners, this is of primary importance. We are never beyond uh, the stage of needing to, to learn and to grow up in our faith. And this passage really gets at the heart of this exhortation for us to not have our growth stunted, but to move on toward maturity. So the title of the message today is, It's Time to Grow Up. And in reality, this is always, it's always time to grow up, right? This isn't like scolding your child because they're acting immature and saying, you need to grow up. No, this is the exhortation to us as Christians, always, right? It's always time to grow up. It's always time to continue on in maturity. Because spiritual immaturity is a dangerous thing. It is a danger to our souls. Just as physical and emotional and psychological immaturity are 
harmful, uh, we must not neglect our spiritual growth because our whole lives, all those other areas will really suffer if our spiritual growth is stunted. Now, a reminder, as we've been going through Hebrews, we are not first century Jewish Christians who Jewish background Christians who are facing the same temptations that they faced. Yet, we must be able to learn from their situation and apply it to our lives. And this really is a challenge with Hebrews in a lot of ways. And I think one of the passages that we saw recently, if you have the Pew Bible, it's right there on, your, on the same page, chapter 4, verses 12 through 13, speaks of the reality of how God's word worked then in them and how God's word continues to work now in us. It says that the word of God is living and active. It's just as living and active now as it was then. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow. And it discerns the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. And no creature is hidden from God's sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. We especially need that reminder as we come to these difficult texts. We are coming before the God to whom we must give an account. And as we hear these warnings, let us have our hearts opened, right? Let, let us let God's word pierce our hearts as we hear these difficult texts. So we come into this middle section here, this warning against apostasy. And New Testament scholar Michael Kruger, in light of the main theme of the book of Hebrews, that Jesus is better, he says really the whole book is a warning against apostasy. The whole book is saying, don't turn away from Jesus. Because Jesus is better, we need to grab onto him, hold on to him, and not turn away from him. So that warning against apostasy that really is as a theme of the whole book flows out of that reality that Jesus is better. So this, again, is this central warning that we're going to see here. We're going to look at the first half of it today, and we're going to be looking at the problem that our author addresses in three different sections, and we'll look at three exhortations. So if you're taking notes, there's three exhortations that are going to kind of head each section for us here. The first one is, let us not be childish in our faith. Chapter 5, verses 11 through 13, let us not be childish in our faith. And there are three ways that we are to not be childish in our faith. The first way is to not have lazy ears. Verse 11, the author says, about this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Now, the about this, we must obviously look back to what he has just said. He's talking about Jesus being the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And he kind of has this pause now from 511 until the end of chapter 6. And then he's going to come back to talking about Melchizedek in chapter 7. So sit tight. We're going to get there in a couple of weeks. Uh, we're spending three weeks in chapter 7 looking at Melchizedek. But he's saying... You have become dull of understanding. We, these things are hard for us to explain to you because you are, as it says in the ESV, dull of hearing. The Christian Standard Bible says, since you have become too lazy to understand. So this idea of laziness or being sluggish. So laziness here is the first sign of immaturity that our author is addressing. 
The second thing is don't forget the basics. Verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. Now, when he says here that you should be teachers, he's not talking in the formal sense that every single Christian should be a recognized teacher, right? Like this formal teacher, like in a school setting or in in the church setting. But he's saying that you should, by this point, you've learned enough, you should be able to be teaching these things to other people. But instead, because of your, your laziness to understand, because you're not hearing and you're not understanding these things, you need to be taught again. So like you need to go back to school. And this, this language here, how it's kind of used in the Greek and even in secular Greek is this idea of like the ABCs, right? You need to, you need to relearn your ABCs. I love language learning, uh, something that fascinates me. I think I've mentioned this before, told some of you, if if I could go back to school and redo a different major, I think I would be a a linguistics major because I just love studying languages and how things kind of fit together and the origins of languages. It's just a fascinating thing. And I think for most of us and why I didn't really think about this probably until I learned another language is we just, we take for granted our own mother tongue, right? You grow up learning this language. You don't even remember learning it, right? Because you just learned it before you could even remember. And I was thinking about this uh, when we taught our kids how to read. I definitely gained a new appreciation for this. We, we use that book called Teach Your Child to Read in 100 Easy Lessons. And it's a little bit of a different approach than some other methods. Uh, kind of very starts with the basics. You don't even learn the alphabet first. Uh, you're not even telling them the names of the letters. You're actually just teaching them the sounds and how to have proper pronunciation. So even before the ABCs, there's some basics that need to be learned so that when you get to the ABCs, um, you know what's going on. And I think this is especially helpful in English because we have so many letters that can be pronounced in different ways. And I always told my friends in China, like, I would not want to learn English as a second language because there's just it's just crazy. It's like so hard to learn. There's exceptions to everything. So getting back to those those basics learning the pronunciation first that's like the basic principles that is the milk and then you progress on and as you go through that book and you start to get to the end the child is then able to read entire paragraphs and the goal is reading for comprehension you know you don't just sit down and say okay read this and then you're done they read it and then you go through and you ask all these questions so that they're actually understanding what they're reading so by lesson 100 a child can read an entire paragraph and answer questions about what they just read. That is, that is going on from the milk of the basics to getting on to starting to get onto solid food, right? You're, you're seeing something, you're reading it, and you're having that comprehension. Now contrast that with what we often witnessed on college campuses in China. Uh, there would be people standing with some English book in a, some garden somewhere on campus, and they're reading out loud, very loudly, sometimes very fast. And there were often times where I had no idea what they were even saying because their pronunciation wasn't good and they were just reading too fast. And that's kind of this like, whoa, wait, you guys, like, you got to go back and relearn. You can't just, you can't just like learn something and do it, but not understand the basics of it. It's like they skipped all of this stuff and got to this point, but they need to go back to the basics. So you can't take a solid food approach to things when you haven't yet learned to 
take in the milk. And that is a problem that's being faced by this congregation here. The third way then that they are to not be, that we are to not be childish in our faith is in verse 13. We are to not be unskilled in the word of righteousness. It says, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. This word here for child is really focused on being an infant, being helpless. And Paul uses this similar milk and solid food language in 1 Corinthians 3 when he addresses the immaturity and divisions in the church in Corinth. This is a church where spiritual gifts abounded, where there was this outward appearance of maturity, but really they were not ready for solid food, as Paul says that they are still of the flesh. So as we think about this, we ought to do some self-examination when we read this passage. We can ask ourselves, how are our ears? How are we doing at hearing? And how are our minds How are we doing at remembering and not needing to be taught the basics again, moving on beyond infancy? And how is our skill with God's word? Are we growing in our competency in studying God's word and in learning? We'll come back to some of these questions in a moment and consider them again. The second exhortation we have is in verse 14. That is, let us be mature in our faith. Verse 14 says, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. This one, let us be mature in our faith, is a positive exhortation compared to the first exhortation, let us not be childish in our faith. So positively, let us be mature in our faith. The things that are listed here in this verse, solid food, maturity, discernment, training, and practice, these things are all paralleled very nicely in a passage in 1 Timothy chapter 4. I would invite you to turn there if you have your Bibles, the Pew Bibles, that's on page 992. First Timothy chapter four, notice at the beginning of chapter four, the heading says some will depart from the faith. So there is this connection with apostasy, right? With some people who are going to, to leave, they're going to walk away. Keep that in mind as we prepare to go into next week's passage. But after Timothy tells them at the beginning, tell, after Paul tells Timothy at the beginning of chapter four, that some will depart from the faith. He says, beginning in verse six tells Timothy, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Now, there's an interesting connection here with our passage in Hebrews. This word trained in verse six here, being trained in the words of the faith. In many English translations, this word is nourished, which is probably a a better translation of the word trained. Um, to kind of get at the meaning, because the root word of this word is the word for fed or food. Okay, that's what we see in Hebrews chapter 5. Solid food is for the mature. Paul tells 
Timothy here to put these things before the brothers and that he will be a good servant of Christ Jesus being fed or nourished in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. So there's this, again, this idea of, of being fed by God's word. Let's continue on there in First Timothy 4, beginning in verse 7. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Now I'm going to highlight the words train and training in verses seven and eight. Timothy is told to train himself for godliness. And then it says, while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Now, this word here, train and training, are the verb and noun form of the same word. The word in the Greek, the verb form is gumnazo, and the noun form is gumnasia. You can probably guess which English word comes from this. Anyone? Gymnasium, right? It's where we get the word gymnasium. Training. Train yourself for godliness. That is the same word that is used in Hebrews 5.14. Solid food is for those who have their for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice, distinguishing good from evil. And for Timothy, Paul makes the kind of comparison between physical training, right? Physical training is of some value, but spiritual training is better, right? Not taking away from the benefit of the physical. The physical is, is good, but spiritual training is better. And then we go back to Hebrews chapter 5. There are some obvious analogies in this verse between the physical and the spiritual. The first is in relation to actual food. Solid food is for the mature. Babies need milk. Babies cannot handle solid food. They need to be fed with their mother's milk, but they will get to a point eventually where their mother's milk is insufficient to help them keep growing, right? You cannot live on milk forever. They will get to a point where they need to mature beyond milk and go on to solid foods. And once solid foods are introduced, there is even there a progression in solid foods, right? Once a little child is, is weaned and starts beginning to be weaned and starts eating solid foods, what are they eating? You don't hand them a steak, right? You don't cut up a steak into chunks and say, here you go. Like there's no teeth, right? Like all these things that you can't do yet. You're giving them mashed up peas and potatoes and all kinds of gross stuff. Trust me, it tastes really gross, but the kids love it, right? They love it, but that's not, that's, they're starting to get solid food, but they're not really on to total maturity yet. The second thing is training. Physical exercise is needed to grow. 
whether you're talking about sports, whether you're uh, talking about a skill, like if you're doing music, if you're playing an instrument, there are physical things, there are repetition things uh, that need to be done. There's muscle memory that needs to be learned so you can be strengthened. I remember when I was in probably fifth grade, I started playing saxophone and just like how much to like form your mouth around that mouthpiece and how much it really hurt in the beginning. Or if you've ever played guitar, like I still have calluses because I don't play my guitar enough. I still have calluses on my finger. When you begin playing a guitar, your fingers just kill for a really long time. But that's part of that training. You need to train your, your body physically. You need to have that muscle memory, obviously with sports, right? That same concept applies. So we have training. Then we have constant practice. This is not, it's not enough just to to train your body physically, right? It's not enough to just go to the gym and lift weights. This repetition is the key and this constant practice, doing the same thing over and over. I love to play racquetball. And if you go and you watch any videos about warming up, like rack, warming up for a racquetball game, these pros who are just like amazing, diving all over the place, like hitting behind their back shots, they, they warm up the same exact way every time. They just get in there and they're, they're hitting these backhand shots. They're hitting forehand shots. Like the, the el most elementary things that you would learn when you first start playing racquetball. And the best of the best, as they're warming up for a match, they're doing all those basic things because it's that constant practice and that constant training. You're never, if you want to beat your opponent at that level, you can't just say like, oh, well, I've played for you know 20 years. I'm good. No, you have to get in there and, and get that repetition and that muscle memory. So I heard this somewhere recently. I can't remember where it was, but I went and, went and looked it up. Um, one of the most famous cellists of all time is a Spaniard named Pablo Casals. Not sure if I'm saying his last name right, but that's how it looks to me. Um, and he was just world-renowned, and he was often asked uh, why, 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 while still in his late 80s and early 90s, why did he still practice his cello three to five hours a day? And he was asked this by many different people. There's kind of different accounts, but he would say things like this, because I think I am still making progress or I'm beginning to notice some improvement, right? This guy's like the best in the world. And he's still at, in his 80s and 90s practicing at least three hours a day. And not pridefully, seriously saying to people, I think I'm still making progress. That's incredible. So let's apply that to our spiritual lives. How do we do what verse 14 says? What does growth look like? What does it look like to grow up in Christ? I think Acts 2.42 gives us a pretty good model. Talking about the early Christians, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Apostles' teaching, right? The word of God. They were devoted to God's word. How do we grow in God's word? We have to be in it, right? This isn't, I'm not talking about like, checking off the boxes and just going through the motions. It's easy to do that, right? But good way to do it is to have a Bible reading plan. Doesn't mean you have to follow it every single day. Life, life is crazy and we get sick and things happen, right? But to have some type of plan 
uh, that you can go through. I would recommend if you're feeling ambitious, the, the Robert Murray McShane plan goes through the Old Testament once, goes through the New Testament and Psalms twice. It's about four chapters a day. If that feels overwhelming. You, you, there's simpler plans you can do. I've done that plan a few times. And then sometimes after like a year or two, I'll take a break. And so like this year, I'm just going slowly through the Psalms and just taking some more time to kind of slow down and meditate. Obviously at different times, I'll be in different parts of the Bible, but you can do kind of, you can customize it and modify it to whatever you want, but it's really good to have a plan, right? To have a plan to read through scripture, to be in God's word so that you can be trained in godliness so that you can know God through his word. The second thing is the fellowship. Fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Obviously, we put a huge emphasis here on corporate worship. If you only have time in the week to do one church-related thing, we want you to be here on Sunday. Uh, love it if you would join a community group. Love it if, if you would be at a, a men's and women's time. But don't prioritize that over corporate worship, right? You need to be here with God's people, worshiping God and hearing from his word. Third thing, breaking of bread. Lord's Supper, which we're going to observe today, and our, our meals that we have after the service, or meals in each other's homes, prayers, both individually and corporately. We need to be growing in our prayer life. This takes work, right? It takes discipline. It's really hard. Prayer is hard, especially in our technologically driven age when there's just, you know, you wake up and we go to our phones and we go to bed and we're on our phones and there's just always distractions. There's always something to do and to be, to find time to, to get away from the distractions and meet with the Lord is increasingly challenging, I think, for us. But that is something that is very vital to our growth in Christ. Through all of these things, our powers of discernment, as it says here, will be trained as we are able to distinguish good from evil. In other words, how are we learning to live for God in this world? How are we learning through all those things, teaching of God's word, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayers, those things should all be helping us to grow in our discernment, to be trained to distinguish good from evil so that we can learn to live for God in this world. This is what maturity looks like, being lifelong learners and moving on from milk to solid food, putting in the time, putting in the energy to train ourselves alongside of others who are doing the same thing. If you say, I'm going to, you know, like run a 5k and I'm going to train for it. I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to train for whatever it is. And if you try to do that by yourself, your chances of succeeding are a lot less than if you do it along with someone else. I know the times where Usually, like if Lindsay and I are going to go on a run, she's like out the door before me and like trying to hurry me up because I'm always, I take forever to get ready. I'm really slow. <laughs> but if I don't have that push or I don't know, if I don't have that, like, hey, let's get going. I'm like, oh, I'll just stay in bed, right? I'll just, I'll just sleep in. So we need that encouragement. We need that challenge from others. But we need a couple key reminders as we think about this that are found here in the first three verses of chapter six. And this is our last section. Let us be dependent upon the grace of God. 
Let us be dependent upon the grace of God. We're told in verse 6 to leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. This elementary doctrine is pretty much the same thing as it's talking about in chapter 5, verse 12. uh, The basic teachings, the basic principles of the oracles of God. We are to leave those things. And this does not mean to leave them behind, right? It does not mean to forget them because they are unimportant. But it means that we are to move beyond them. We are to go on to maturity, beyond the basic principles, on to maturity. And we see this word here again. Let us go on to maturity, which is the same word that we saw in chapter 5, verse 14, that solid food is for the mature. This is the major emphasis of this text, that it's time to grow up. It's time to move on beyond the elementary doctrine and not lay again a foundation of these six things that are listed here in uh, verse 1 and 2 of chapter 6, talking about laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God of instruction about washings and the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. There's considerable debate about this list. Uh, Some scholars believe that these are things that were Old Testament beliefs that the Jews had that they were hanging on to and that they were not rightly understanding in light of Jesus and in light of his high priesthood, which I think would make sense in light of uh, chapter 5, verse 11 where he says, it's hard to explain some of these things since you have become dull of hearing. Uh, Others think that these are the basic Christian teachings that they were content to hold on to, but not willing to move on to, move beyond uh, into deeper things. And I think that also makes sense in light of chapter 5, verse 11, talking about Jesus and his high priesthood and the order of Melchizedek. Either way, however we take this, it's as if our author is saying to the audience, come on, you guys, there is so much more for you to understand, but you aren't going to mature in your faith if you aren't willing to keep learning. It's not that these basic principles were bad. He's just saying you already learned those things, which are foundational. Now you need to go on and you need to grow up and you need to mature and keep learning. Well, so what does this passage have to do then with dependence upon the grace of God? Two things here. First, when it says, let us go on to maturity in chapter 6, verse 1, the voice here in the original is either middle or passive. Now, if it's in the middle voice, that means that we are being affected by our own actions. This points to our role in sanctification. Obviously, we acknowledge that it is the Spirit of God who is active in our sanctification. It's never our own, never completely on our own that we grow, uh, but we do have a part in our sanctification. Then, if it's passive, we could actually translate it let us be carried on to maturity. So, some scholars prefer to translate it that way let us be carried on to maturity really emphasizing that we are passive and that God is the one who brings us on to maturity. I think that both of these work because I think both of them are true. 
which I think we see that our author highlights in verse three. It says, this we will do going on to maturity if God permits. God must work. God must permit and grant it if we are to go on to maturity. If there is to be any assurance in the Christian life, which is the emphasis of the rest of chapter 6, then God must work in us by his grace so that we might mature and become more like Christ. Well, there are two places in Colossians where Paul highlights maturity and the work of God. And these are things that I pray for us every week as a church. Pray them for you. I pray them for myself. And I long that these things would be true of us. And I think this is a fitting place to go as we wrap up here. You don't need to turn there. But two verses in Colossians. The first is in Colossians chapter 1. And you'll see the connection here with our passage here. Colossians 1.28, Paul says, speaking of Christ, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So the goal of our proclamation of the gospel, the goal of our teaching is to present everyone mature in Christ. And he says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. I love this verse because Paul says he has a job to do. He has to struggle, or that's where we get the word agonize from. He has to struggle for this, right? He has to struggle for the maturity of the flock, but he does it with the energy that God powerfully works within him. So all of Paul's striving, all of Paul's goal of bringing people onto maturity is not because Paul is this super mature guy who can do it all on his own. It's because God, by his grace, works through Paul and God works by his energy, God's energy, the power of God's spirit working through him. And then in, the, uh, in chapter four of Colossians, Paul is giving his final greetings and he says, Epaphras, he says, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling, same word that Paul used in chapter one, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. I love that. The struggle that Epaphras is having on behalf of these believers in the, church, in the Colossian church is that they would stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Maturity and assurance. It's going to be a big theme of these verses here from 5.11 to 6.12. We need to trust the Lord in this. We need to go on to maturity. We need to be assured in our faith. And we do have a part to play in that, right? We need to seek him. We need to seek to grow in our faith. But it is only by his grace that we do it. And I don't think there's a better reminder as we head into the Lord's Supper here. That it is only by God's grace that we come to this table. We don't come because we had a great week. We don't come because we, we put in all the effort and we tried really hard this week and we didn't sin maybe as much as we did the week before. We come because we're needy sinners. We're desperate and dependent upon God and his grace. 
But there is something active, right, in our coming. We do come, we come forward, we take the elements, and we declare to the world that we trust in Christ, that we are not just sitting by, we're not just letting go and letting God. This table is a picture of growth, isn't it? We need to be fed. We need to be nourished by God so that we will grow up into maturity. We need solid food. And while this little piece of bread and this little cup of wine or juice obviously is not going to nourish us and carry us on physically for the rest of the day, it will spiritually nourish our souls. It will carry us on. So as you think about coming to this meal, I want us to take some time to meditate on just where are you at with the Lord? Take a few quiet moments. Are you trusting in Christ and in Christ alone? Are you seeking to grow up into maturity by his grace, not by your own works? This table is for hungry and needy souls, those who need to grow up by God's grace. So if you are in Christ, if you trust him, this table is for you. If you are not yet a Christian, we would ask that you would refrain at this time. We would love to talk to you more about what it means to follow Christ. So let us take some time. Let us take a moment here before the Lord to quiet our hearts. I'll ask the elders to come down. And then after a few moments, I will invite us to come down. <laughs>